Welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. My name is Patrick, and with me as always, my colleague Jakub. Today we want to answer the question, what is a process mining architect? What does this job even entail? And what do we look for in a candidate that's applying for this job? If you have any of these questions, then this is the episode for you. Let's get into it. All right, people, you want to hear something amazing? It has been a year since episode one of Mining Your Business podcast. A full year. That is, I mean, that is insane. When we were starting out in February 2021, uh, we were afraid that we would run out out of the topics to talk about after five episodes or so. And yet, here we are with more ideas than ever. Um, and it's all thanks to you, really. Uh, thanks to your interest in our show, uh, your, your support and uh, heartwarming feedback. But also thanks to our guests who are a pure inspiration for us and uh, are teaching us uh, on how to not only become better at what we do, that is in process mining, data science and consulting, but also uh, to improve as people overall. I mean, seriously, what a ride. Uh, I'm, and I'm very, very excited about our podcast. What do you think, Patrick? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm right there with you. Honestly, it has been, like you said, quite a ride to get to where we are now. Um, like you said, the, the guests that we've had on, I never imagined that uh, we would speak with those guests or you know, that we would be able to learn so much and take so much from everybody's experience in process mining. It really, really has been a journey. Yeah, I would say that if you are interested in what we've learned, we did an episode recently about our key learnings uh, doing this podcast. So uh, there we essentially sum up uh, everything that we've discussed with uh, some of the you know interesting guests that we've had on the show. So be sure to check that episode out. Um, but today, uh, since this is kind of a, you know, this episode really means a lot to us, because again, making it uh, through a year and keep producing this podcast uh, while already having so much to do is uh, is a big feat for me uh, personally. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we really want to go and talk today about the position itself, about, uh, you know, the, the name of the episode is uh, how to become a process mining architect. And what we want to do is, uh, you know, tell you about what you can personally do to jump on our train of joy and actually become <laughs> a process mining architect as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, why are we doing this episode, Jakub? And I think the answer is fairly obvious. We have a lot of um, interviews with people, you know, trying to get people to to help us do the job, help us, you know, implement process mining with clients and be the process mining architect um, at our company, right? So we have these interviews. And so this is kind of our experience, our common knowledge of what that interview looks like, what we look for in candidates, and also what the job will be, what the what your responsibilities as a process mining architect will be. So just, it's a big, big um, overview of what the job is. Yeah. And also, I mean, there are people who are listening to the show who might not be interested in working as a process mining architect, but are either our customers or people who are genuinely interested in process mining. They can be in academia. They can do anything which doesn't even really relate to process mining, such as Patrick's mom. And this is, again, the opportunity (laughs) to say, hi, Patrick's mom. (laughs) Hi, mom. Yeah, and uh, we just really want to establish uh, this uh, process mining architect, which, by the way, I really want to coin as a term because, you know, in our our job postings, we are usually using a data scientist or a data analyst, which, in my opinion, is a subset uh, of what process mining architect really does. 
and we use these terms interchangeably. Uh, so what I really want to do here is uh, a coin uh, the term process mining architect and also introduce you to it and tell you why is it such a cool job and why you should even be interested and maybe tempted by by applying. Absolutely. Absolutely. So shall we do it? Let's get into it. Yeah. All right. So why should people care about this position? I mean, in my mind, it's it's fairly it's a fairly easy, easy answer. Process mining is in its uh, its growth phase, right? So there's a lot of buzz. It's a fairly new discipline for a lot of companies. A lot of companies, enterprises are jumping aboard this and they need guidance, right? Yeah. I and, just, just, uh, just, uh, I'm going to stop you right there. I saw recently a post on LinkedIn. And uh, I mean, we all know LinkedIn, it's usually full of, um, you know what I wanted to say. Um, <laughs> but uh, I saw an interesting post where there was an estimation of today's uh, current process mining market. And the estimation going into year 2030, which, well, is in eight years, so not long from now. And it is foreseen to uh, be bigger five or six times than it is now. So that's yeah. five or six times more project than there are now. And, uh, you know, more insights, more process mining. So, uh, yeah, as you are saying, it's really a market to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where you get to experience so closely the internal processes of some really, really large enterprises, some companies that are actually um, very interesting in the stuff that they do. And learning about um, how these how these companies operate, and things like that is is so is worth so much uh, knowledge. It's really a a teaching, uh, teaching position. And that's it. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Yeah, so basically, you learn a lot on the yeah. job because you get the insights of these organizations and you talk to very interesting people who very often are in leading positions of their organizations and mm -hmm. who can actually make change. Um, so this, this uh, I would say this problem solving and like the knowledge uh, fountain is, is really uh, mm -hmm. amazing. And uh, I can quite honestly say that even after four years on the job, I'm still learning so much and I haven't even scratched uh, a surface of some of the processes uh, that are even out there and you could be doing. Mm. So, uh, yeah, but it's not the only thing that's really cool and sexy about this position. I mean, um, we mentioned that the market is growing and uh, for a lot of people, I mean, uh, money is always a big topic. And mm -hmm. let's be honest, uh, working in an IT and in a data science and in these data topics Pays well. I mean, it's, it's absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it, IT is where where a lot of money is, and especially in process mining that is really uh, fairly new. Um, being in the position that we are, the 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 money is a very good uh, perk for sure. Yeah, but knowing millennials and people in my age, uh, money <laughs> is not the only thing that they want to do. And one of the key drivers for uh, uh, you know uh, fresh uh, out of the school people and new candidates is also this autonomy uh, at the job. So knowing that first of all you can actually make a difference uh, and. I, I can already assure you that doing a process mining and being a process mining architect, you 100% can make a difference because you are solving uh, real problems of organizations and you can have a direct impact on uh, improving things and eventually saving money, saving time and helping uh, someone. So it's huge. But uh, going back to that aut autonomy, uh, you know, when you are in a project and you already have a certain experience, 
a lot of things actually depend on you. I mean, you always have someone to rely on, someone more experienced, a, a boss or some team lead or someone. Uh, but, you know, you are still kind of uh, in the position where you have to think uh, for yourself. You have to come up with your own solution. And while somebody can guide you, it's really your call at the end of the day on how you're going to tackle a certain problem. And and I know that this is something that a lot of people really uh, really strive for and really want to do and really want to have the ability to even make these kind of decisions. And being uh, or working as a process mining architect uh, can really give you this. Absolutely. I think this really goes into some of the positive feedback loops that you get in this job. I mean, let's start at the basics. You have your code. When you write good code, it works, it runs, it's quick, it's beautiful, it does what you want it to do. If you write bad code, it's going to fail. There's errors, whatever, it's bad. That's, that's a very quick feedback loop. Another one is the response of the clients you're working with. Some of them are very, very excited and really, really positive about the things you're doing. And that instant feedback is also very infectious. It makes you feel good about the, the work that you're doing. It's directly correlated about the quality of work that you deliver. And then secondly, it's also the strategic savings that you're giving these clients, the, the, this enterprise. You know, you are making an impact, giving them more opportunity to do other stuff with the, their safe cash or whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're doing. So that's another feedback loop that is very, very directly related to your quality of work. And that, I think, is very, very rewarding for me and for yeah. people in this position. Yeah. And that leads us into uh, who is this job for and who is not for and I think the, the, the key word uh, in who this job is for is independent people. So people who are not afraid of, uh, of the stage and who want to think for themselves and who actually want to make some kind of an impact. And I can't think of a better word than independent. Obviously, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's an IT job still, uh, even though it's not strictly, uh, you will not be doing only IT. Um, but uh, it's still work with computers. It's still work with the data, with the databases, uh, and with uh, some, uh, you know, informational systems. So mm -hmm. having a knowledge and a grasp uh, of the of the IT piece is big. So uh, I know it's gonna be, uh, you know, people who have some background in in uh, IT or engineering, math, statistics, or even some of the business school schools where they really learn some some algorithmic uh, thinking and some coding uh, will have a much easier time to even applying and getting into this position. Exactly. And also, it's also related to a little bit about your interest in business processes, right? If you don't care about business processes, then process mining is probably not the right direction for you, right? So this is just one of those things. You need to like um, business processes and need to want to get to know them, right? Yeah. So unless you want to be a consultant or something, uh, if we are strictly speaking about this uh, business, uh, sorry, about this process mining architect role, uh, we we would not recommend it to people who don't want to code at all, uh, who just are afraid of coding or don't really want to spend their time in front of the screen all day long mm -hmm. because it's mostly what we do. Uh, but also to people who are actually only only excited about the coding, but never want to talk to anyone because yeah. uh, talking to people in this position is is vital because how would you solve someone's problem if you didn't know what the problem was? Absolutely. And it's not just that. It's also, you know, you can code the best thing in the world. 
but you're still going to have to convince the the people that you're coding this for why it's the best thing in the world that you've just done, right? You have yeah. to be able to justify your your implementations, your code to someone at some point. Yeah. All right, Patrick, let's talk about the, the role itself a bit. Uh, we already mm-hmm. said a lot, uh, but maybe some people would still like to have a bit better definition of what it means. And uh, whenever I'm in an interview and I'm introducing uh, my, uh, to my candidates uh, the role itself and what they would be doing and what they are applying for, I always love to say this, uh, this term that a process mining architect is a bridge between IT and the business. And the reason why I say that is uh, that, you know, as a process mining architect, well, your, your first and foremost uh, uh, goal and task is to build up a process mining um, environment for your, for your customers, which means a little bit of everything, really. It means knowing what the customer wants. So that's the, that's the talking part. It's the, you know, talking to the business, understanding uh, their, their scoping, understanding their ideas, their wants and the KPIs they want to focus and measure. Um, but it also means that you have to actually know where to get the data from and you know <laughs> how to how to incorporate their thoughts into a reality being some visualization or or uh, you know a number representation on the front end in the report. Absolutely. And I think you nailed it. It's it's that synthesizing these business processes, these ideas that people have about their process what they want to see about their process. I mean, because most people, especially when they're new to process mining, don't really know what to expect, right? So you need to be able to translate um, what these uh, what these people are saying to you about what their process looks like, find it in the data and synthesize out of this data, out of this ERP system, a process in the, in, in, mm-hmm. in the process mining event log. Mm-hmm. And I already mentioned that uh, in our company, at least, and also in our applications, we are using this term data scientist uh, and data data analyst and also process mining architect kind of interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why we do that is because I see this as uh, not really as uh, one position being a subset of other position, but I see it as this Venn diagram, right? Where you have these, these um, you know, circles and they just somehow meet in the middle. And... Uh, being strictly only a data scientist uh, can mean a lot of things because also a data science is a huge topic. You can work with different databases, with different uh, computing languages, uh, and so on. And uh, in a process mining architect role, you kind of take a little bit of everything and you just put it into one position. So you are doing a data science job at times, but you are also doing a consulting job at times, and you are also doing a data analyst job at times. So that's why. We like to say that these positions are interchangeable because you will be do, doing a little bit of everything. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is a, like a kind of a give and take. And I also like to say this in my interviews, and I think Jakob, you do this as well, that it just kind of depends on what your preferences are, where you like to fall. You kind of lean more heavily into the other, right? So if you like the talking part, if you like the coding part, if you like the data analysis part, things like that you can kind of lean into back and forth, right? So it's not a, a clear cut. This is what you're going to be doing forever. There's some of everything and you get to lean a little bit further into some areas than others. Yeah. yeah. So Patrick, how does your daily routine look like? And please don't say that I start with recording a podcast because that's not really what uh, process mining architects do. <laughs> well, this is literally by my last two days here. I have been coming in the, in the morning and recording podcast episodes. But um, for most people and for me, when I'm not uh, recording episodes, 
is uh, coming into work, um, usually checking emails, right? Everyone, <laughs> everyone does. So and, looking uh, busy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So essentially, um, there will be some sort of tasks from or inquiries from some clients saying, hey, I want to analyze this, or um, I think this looks a bit odd. Can you please explain this to me? Um, or I want to implement this further. And then we go in into the data, um, see what, what is up, what is the, the cause of the confusion, see if we can explain it, kind of pull out some examples and kind of go through it with this client and just kind of talk through it a little bit. Um, other times we are, or I'm in more planning uh, or more, more in the project management kind of roles where I get to kind of plan a migration project with a, with a client and see like the follow, like what steps need to be done, what the checklist is, when it needs to be done, things like that. So more of a, a project management type of type of feel, right? So it kind of varies by day to day, but daily tasks usually involve a lot of um, a lot of uh, rummaging through code that I've written and wondering why I did it the way I did it, and uh, others is uh, you know responding to to client requests. Yeah, and one of the questions I very often get from the candidates is, uh, what is the growth uh, from personal perspective when it comes to this role, this process mining architect role specifically? And I really like this question because there's not really a clear guidance on where what you can grow into. Uh, the thing is that this, the, the learning curve at the beginning is very steep because mm-hmm. you have to learn the software uh, that you are doing the process finding in. Uh, and uh, that's usually already quite challenging by itself because it's a lot of new things that you, unless you worked in a BI reporting or some business analyst role before, you don't really understand or have a grasp of. Um, then there's obviously your coding skills. Uh, most mm-hmm. of these, uh, these roles will revolve heavily around SQL, which in my opinion is, uh, let's say, I would say one of the easiest languages, if we even want to call it a language uh, to learn, but it's still mm-hmm. a language. It's still some uh, learning to do. And then there are other languages as, as, such as Python and R, and we will get into that uh, in a bit. Um, however, it doesn't end there because if you are doing, uh, if you are building the processes, um, you have to understand them. Uh, and uh, trust me when I say it, you will not understand them within first couple of months of uh, at your job. <laughs> yeah. I, I had the, these moments of revelations a uh, year into the do into doing a job, and suddenly like uh, things falling into place, and suddenly mm-hmm. uh, I just put it, the dots together, and I was like, okay, I finally understand it. Those Eureka and, moments. Oh yeah. yeah, those Eureka moments. Like, dude, why didn't you know that before? It's so, so obvious. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty cool because, you know, uh, with each process you implement, you start seeing uh, different, different things. You start seeing different patterns and you start looking at the problems from completely different perspectives and you just start getting the experience, which is amazing feeling because suddenly you are someone who can actually help. And uh, not to go into the deep too much on that, I just want to say that uh, while you are on the job of the process planning architect, you start seeing also your interests being shifted in certain directions. And I actually identified four paths that you could actually take on the job. Uh, the first one being a data science and machine learning expert. Because um, as I said, uh, since even though you don't, uh, you will not be doing only that, at some point, you can profile yourself as a real an expert. And, uh, you know, you have the data at your hand. Uh, and, you know, in data, there is a power. And it's really up to you on what you can do with it. And uh, we have a colleagues, uh, Oksana, for instance, who are build, who is building 
some very, very cool use cases in there. And uh, so she's kind of diverting from this process running architecture more into an actual developer of algorithms and some very, very cool machine learnings um, coding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's there's another path, more of the project management thing, you know, that Jakob and I basically have, um, um, you know, are essentially doing right now where we we know a lot of the, the data science part. We know a lot of what's going on about the machine learning, but I think um, you and I can both agree we're not the, <laughs> the, the no. best people at this place for data science or machine learning, right? But we, what we can do is we're kind of an all-rounder. We can be stuck into most projects and um, come out on like fairly well on the other side, right? So we can manage our own projects, you know, delegate tasks to other people and things like that. So that's the kind of um, project management thing that you can also fall into. Yeah, the next one would be the value creation and consulting. Uh, at some point, uh, customers want to get some results out of the tools. So, you know, somebody has to step up. Um, those roles are more, uh, I would say, people-oriented because you already have all the implementation and now you really need to focus on managing and handling the people and actually uh, getting them on board with the ideas and getting them excited about the tool and, you know, just motivating them to get the value out of it. And the last part that I think is interesting, but uh, not many of, of us take it as, as, as of now because we are still, let's say, uh, very process agnostic rather than uh, you know focusing on one part or one specific process. And that is uh, being a process expert where you basically uh, know every single thing about a specific process. And you know, being on the job, you usually get there, uh, like it or not. But uh, at some point, uh, if you feel like that, uh, you know, purchase to pay is your process to go for at any point of time, you can eventually be a process expert on that one only. Absolutely. And then it will be kind of your responsibility to be the go-to person, the kind of people that ask questions to about this process, or especially when new people come in and say, hey, I've never done this. What are some things to look out for? And you being the, business, uh, the process expert can regale your, your experience to these people. Yeah. And having said those uh, couple of roles, uh, I think what it boils down to is uh, to your responsibilities. And uh, again, a lot of responsibilities will depend on what level of experience you have and how mm. long have you been on the job and also, uh, you know, your specific position on the project. But there are a couple of uh, responsibilities I would like to mention. And uh, the first one that you will be dealing with before you build some experience is the IT responsibility. And that means Basically, establishing the connection to the systems, implementing the processes, implementing the event logs, and uh, you know, making sure that the data and uh, the, the numbers that the customer wants to see uh, are in the dashboards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, then there's also the, the people management, right? I think that's also one of the crucial parts is um, as much as we would like to delve into that we're all just ones and zeros, we're just robots. It, this job is a lot of people management. You need to be on top of communication with the person that is paying us for this for the for this job for this process mining implementation, right? They want to see, they want to have that connection. They want to know what's what you're doing, when you're doing it, and if they write you an email, it is your responsibility to respond accurately and efficiently, and telling them exactly what they want to know, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously process management. So at some point you need to learn the processes and when you are discussing with customers some uh, deviations or some uh, things that are happening, uh, 
you know, you need to understand what they're actually saying. So this takes some time, obviously. Oh, yeah. And when you enter a new process, it's usually just starting from scratch. But it slowly, slowly builds up. And then uh, at some point of time, you just uh, figure out that, uh, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you can uh, just, uh, <laughs> you know, name all of the SAP tables, including their fields and what they mean. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it's also it's also should be noted that um, no one's going to chop your head off if you don't know a specific uh, process, right? If this is your first time, the worst thing you can do is not ask questions, right? Yeah. So that's one of the tips I always give: ask as many questions as you want. No one expects you to be uh, at at the start an expert in everything. So ask away. Ask as many questions as you need to um, really understand what the process is. Yeah, uh, Patrick. Next question would be: uh, What skills do you think you need to have for this job, and why do you think so? Oof, you need to have. Okay, well, generally, I think some coding experience is good. Um, SQL helps a lot, right? It's not a must, really. I mean, like you said, SQL is one of these one of the easier languages to learn, and I think most people can master it. But essentially you need to be able to work with um, with data, right? You need to know kind of what tables are, what it, that they relate to each other. That type of thinking um, is crucial to doing well in this job, right? So you need to have some sort of um, coding knowledge, some sort of um, proven ability to think um, analytically about data. Um, and yeah, that's, I think, one of the biggest ones for me. Yeah, and then there is this uh, another path, and that's actually the people skills, I like to call it this way. Mm -hmm. And that's everything that doesn't have to do with the data. So that's uh, how you uh, react, how you talk to people, how you uh, are able to manage them, manage the expectation, manage the temper, and uh, you know, ask them and be have some uh, sort of empathy and this this social intelligence because it's not only about IQ but it's also about uh, EQ and having this really mm. helps the job because as we said many many times uh you will talk to people absolutely you need to be likable right you need to <laughs> have people well i mean it's easier to um give somebody bad news if this person likes you rather than if they don't like you, right? So um, being likable, being um, able to, you know, if it's just a few jokes here and there, or just being nice and talking with the with the client, remembering um, some things they said in the last minute, it's just basic people skills, right? Mm -hmm. That that already helps a lot. But what and I also want to point out, it also, it also helps uh, self-presentation. I think this is one of the big ones. We are a client-facing company, right? We talk to clients mm -hmm. a lot. The ability to um, coherently talk to clients, to... Um, demonstrate uh, your work in a clear manner, the way to kind of, because once you're standing in front of a client, you're not only presenting your, yourself and the work that you did, but also the company, right? So this is uh, one of those, those things that you need to know how to do. Yeah. And we don't say it lightly or just because it's, it's fun to say. And uh, there are uh, situations that you will encounter while doing the job that are very negative and not everyone wants to deal with. And uh, mm -hmm. one of them being dealing with angry, angry clients, you know, uh, something goes wrong, uh, somebody gets angry and then you just need to manage the emotions and uh, mm -hmm. be on top of the situation. But a lot of other things as well, you, you will at some point deal with someone who is not very capable. And I don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, uh, you know, talk bad about people or anything, but uh, people have different set of skills, different set of knowledge. And sometimes you will encounter people who just cannot solve your problem that they need to solve and just have to deal with it. 
uh, all yeah. kinds of problems or delays will always occur in basically any project. Uh, and at some point when you are doing process mining, you might also notice that there is this disengagement and disenchantment uh, slowly, slowly coming into the project, which is also uh, a not nice situation to be in because, uh, you know, it's also your job to get people motivated and uh, get them to the point where they are excited about what they are doing. And uh, trust me when I say that, that in large organizations, this is this can be very, very hard. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's not that you will face this with every client. There's um, a lot of people that haven't faced some of these um, things, but knowing what to do and knowing how to act when these situations occur, knowing to have patience with people that um, need a little bit more time, knowing not to lose your cool when things get a little heated, <laughs> right? These are, these are, well, I mean, you know what I mean? This is, uh, this, I know this can mean. happen for sure. Yeah. So um, knowing how to, how to act in these situations will, will come in handy for sure. Yeah. And last, there is always some pressure and stress on the job, but uh, honestly, I, I don't think That's there every is, job. Yeah, there, <laughs> there is not a job where you would not face pressure or stress or both. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Patrick, what would you say is the goal of the job of a process mining architect? Um, the goal, the ultimate goal of a process mining architect, in my mind, is being able to deliver value to the customer, right? The, the customer will look at this at, with, through one lens, is am I getting value out of what they're providing me, right? If we don't get value, then it was all for nothing. Right, so being able to deliver value in whatever form that uh, that is that the client wants, you need to be able to deliver. That is the the most important thing. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree, and I wouldn't even uh, add anything to that. Um, and basically, whenever I feel successful about a project, is when I hear back from a customer, be it directly or through through also uh, my superiors. Uh, via email or a nice, nice remark that uh, we did a good job and that we really helped them solve their problem. So this mm-hmm. is really an ultimate success that I can, I can see in a project. And uh, that said, uh, we will now actually get into the second part of, of our, of our uh, talk here, which is the hiring process. As Patrick mentioned at the beginning, we are now uh, growing our team, uh, you know, in Europe, in Munich and Prague office, but also in the States where we are now uh, present on the market. And uh, we are in this position where we are actually deciding about people's uh, future uh, when we talk to <laughs> candidates. And I know it sounds very, very harsh. Trust me, it's not also being easy. It's, it's also not easy to be in this hiring position and basically play uh, an HR agent or something. And sometimes I feel very, very bad for rejecting some of the people. But this is part of our job, and we, you know, we are looking for people who we want to work with. So it's also important for important for us to do this. And that's why we want to maybe give you some of the tips about the hiring process and what you can do to to prepare and to get ready for an application for such a position. Absolutely. So uh, I think it's um it's a good idea to start. Um, what are we looking for in candidates? Well, like, what do the candidates need to have? That we say, okay, this person is worth talking to for for half an hour just to see to see what they're what they're about. Um, and I can say that um, some experience in some science, math, or something like that. So bachelor's degree, master's degree, something like that um, is um, is a a check mark. And also having some sort of interaction or some sort of experience 
working with data, large data sets, knowing SQL, having some sort of demonstrated um, experience in SQL, Python, or R is a, a big, big thing. If that's not there, then it's a little bit difficult. What do you mean uh, by demonstrated uh, knowledge? Because some of the candidates are also also asking this question. How can I prove that I have a demonstrated knowledge of the data? Uh, well, yeah, that's a good question. So either um, you can have had a job in that, right? That's obviously proven experience. Um, other than that, you can have a, um, a GitHub where you can code some sample projects, things like that. So it gives us a little bit of a chance to kind of look through it. it we know fairly well you know, what are the cookie cutter um, projects that people do on these, uh, um, you know, training sites where you can learn Python and stuff. A lot of people just upload those things to GitHub and, um, you know, pass it off as their own. It's fairly easy to tell if it's done by yourself or if it's one of those um, pre-cut ones for you. But um, having some sort of repository, having some sort of project that you worked in, and trust me, we will be asking about it in the interview, right? So this is not something that you can just put on GitHub and expect us not to ask you about it. Yeah, asking about projects, I I, I personally love this uh, because it when you are asked about something you have been doing, it can tell many things. It can first and foremost mm-hmm. tell how excited you are about it. Uh, because if I ask you about your your master thesis and you're like, oh, my master thesis, it was horrible. You already give a cues about how you felt about working on it, about the topic that you picked and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you know, you are asked about such a topic, about some data topic, and you are already uh, disenchanted yourself, then, well, maybe maybe you don't even want to do this, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, you would be doing this on your job. Um, the second thing that it tells you, uh, tells about you is also how invested you are in, in it. So you can, uh, how, how well you can talk about the topic, how well can you present what you've actually been doing and share uh, with us the results and how excited you are about that you actually managed to get to those results. So these are the two things that I think uh, a specific project can tell about you. Absolutely. And it's also one of those things, when you ask that question about what you did here, and you know, you, I'm, I'm looking for someone that can go into the detail and tell me, maybe even go like look at the code and say, this is what I did here and this didn't work because then I tried this because I failed at doing it, right? They have some experience and they, they've in, they're engaged with the work that they did and they can tell you all about it. Somebody that doesn't go into detail, someone that just kind of stays on the on the surface level, I'm starting to doubt whether they really get the thing that they wrote, the, the get the thing that they were working on, right? So I'm looking for detail. I'm looking for um, struggles. I'm looking for excitement. Um, like you said, right? The excitement when someone mm-hmm. is excited is very apparent on someone's face. Yeah, yeah, true. Even though we even even despite doing um, the the interviews remote, you can still tell because you are still looking at the person in the camera, and uh, body language tells more about you than you probably yeah. think. Yeah. Um. The next thing is actually the CV. Uh. You know the that's. Uh, I think a lot of candidates are very much underestimating this piece because, especially in today's age, where an uh, the CV is the first thing that you, as a as a hiring person, will see. Um, mm. It's a first contact with the company that you make, and having a, a well structured, nice looking CV cannot be understated. Uh, it tells a lot about you as a person uh, because you know the way that you structure the, uh, the the amount of work that you put into it. And that you are presenting yourselves in in a in a best possible manner 
uh, is is big because also in our job, you know, the self presentation we already mentioned it is is very important. You're dealing with clients and you need to present your work, and the the amount of work that goes into your CV uh, can have implications also on the amount of work that you would be willing to give. Uh, when you are, uh, when you want to present your work to someone else. Absolutely. I think what Jakob is trying to get at is if there's a spelling mistake in your CV, we will find out and <laughs> it will look bad. Um, yeah. Because essentially, this is your first introduction into a company. The CV must look immaculate. Um, yeah. We read pretty much every line of CVs that uh, we are sent. Um, the covering letters, we read through those. So if there's a spelling mistake, it already tells us a little bit about your quality of work. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, not everybody is strong with English. That's perfectly fine. I mean, listen to me and my uh, my accent. I'm <laughs> by far uh, not an English native uh, or anything. Uh, so if you are not certain about your, your language levels, just have someone proofread it, right? Yeah. You know, there everybody makes mistakes and that's perfectly fine. But if this is something that you are sending to your potential future employers, uh, you need to make sure that this is correct and that you don't Absolutely. have uh, you don't have uh, errors in there. Um, Patrick mentioned the cover covering letter. Uh, I love reading those because again, uh, you can very often tell whether this is just a covering letter that's uh, sent to to every every company yeah. or whether this is something uh, that's tailored for this specific position only. And mm. I, I just love reading those, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's such a more personal touch than just like a bullet point list of the things you've done. It really adds a, a more personal level because at the end, we're not just hiring your skills. We're also hiring you as a person to fit into the team. So knowing a little bit more about you as a person, um, your kind of experience, your history a little bit, um, gives us a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Um, at this point, I also like to mention, um, don't put jokes into your covering letters. Don't don't write don't write fun, funny funny little quips. Or it, it it doesn't work. Okay, it it does not. Work. It depends. I don't mind, Patrick. I don't know. <laughs> I think okay, you're, I I think you're too serious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Yeah, uh, but you know that said, uh, when it also comes to people skills and soft skills, um, there are a couple of cues that uh, we can already tell from the interaction with the candidates on how uh, they are performing on this front. Uh, and that can be such little things uh, as uh, looking into the camera and smiling. You know, mm -hmm. smile goes a long way because it also forces you to talk a certain way. And just looking here at Patrick when we are recording this podcast, you know, we are smiling all, all along. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we, we kind of hope that this is actually translated into also your experience. And, uh, you know, smile is is free. So you can just smile in the camera and be there. Um Another thing is just general politeness and the way you yeah. speak and you present. Um, you know, you don't, you will not be cursing uh, in an interview or you know using swear, uh, swearing and so on. That's just not something that you should do. Uh, be on time. You know, be there when you are asked to. These yeah. are these little things that uh, can translate in, uh, you know, in eventually being rejected or accepted or at least uh, proceeded to the next round. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, if you cannot make an interview, a heads up is is great. I mean, if we need to reschedule, that's uncomfortable, but fine. Um, but please let us know. Um, you know, it's there's, or it's just this politeness, this having having decorum is really, really a big part. Yeah. So, Patrick, I think let's get ready into uh, how 
the people should actually get ready for an interview with us or with any other process mm. mining company at a process mining architect role. Uh, I actually, as I said a couple of times on our podcast before, I also do a personal finance podcast, which is unfortunately in Czech, so you can't really listen to it. <laughs> but I devoted a full episode to how to get ready to an interview, uh, for an interview, sorry. Um, because there are some things that uh, are easily uh, fixed and that you can just uh, focus on at the very beginning and that can long go a, a very long way. And what I did is essentially I split this uh, getting ready uh, into four phases. The first one being uh, the phase before you even apply. The second one being a preparation phase. Uh, the third one, an interview phase. And the fourth one, very often neglected one, uh, is the, the phase after the interview. Um, so the first one is before you even apply. And uh, I think this is uh, the moment where you even, when you have to find your inner motivation on why you even want to do a certain job. And I know there are memes all over the internet that you were applying for a job because, well, you don't want to starve to death because you, you need the money <laughs> and everything. You know, it's fair. Uh, I don't blame you. We all work for money. And uh, I don't think that if any of us had, uh, you know, money to spare, we would even work because, you know, why then? Um, but uh, still, you have to go a little beyond that if you want to apply for such a job because you need to show that you actually want to do it. You need to so, show some in, inner motivation and find a reason why you want to do it. And then there are uh, obviously the the other things, more um, technical, such as creation of a nice CV and uh, the governing letter. Absolutely. So, and this is the motivation behind the application is important, right? Because at the end of the day, we uh, we as the people hiring need to make the distinction about why this person and not anybody else. And if your only motivation is, well, I'd like to get paid. Well, everybody wants to get paid. That doesn't really make you a distinctive um, pick or a choice for the, for this job, right? True, true. Yeah, so just getting ready, finding some motivation and getting all the necessary documents ready so that they look nice, they are well prepared. And, you know, if you're not sure how to write a CV, just just Google it. You know, you will find uh, a lot of documentation on this lot of website that will basically guide you step by step through the process of creation of CV. Just use it. Use the templates and you can actually create amazing stuff on the internet that looks good and that contains all the informations that uh, all the information that people such as us or some hiring uh, hiring uh, employees are actually looking for. Yeah, and this also kind of depends on the culture a little bit, right? Because the culture of CVs and what you put on there, what you don't put on there, very much depends on the location, right? Since uh, we are or I am in Germany, I'm not sure how it is in the Czech Republic. But um, essentially, a CV in, in Germany is essentially an entire history of you, right? From all your um, certificates and everything that you've ever done to, mm -hmm. to where you are now, right? There's nothing that's left out, or at least I don't leave anything out in, in my CV, just because like, that gives you a fairly good history of everything that I've done to this point. Mm -hmm. In the States that I've seen, um, a lot of people just put the relevant stuff in, in the CV. So, And if you haven't actually worked at a... Um, process mining job or something you know nothing really is relevant so some i will get some cvs that pe where people actually have worked but they just don't put it into their cvs and it tells me very little about some of the experience that they have and that's kind of frustrating so patrick are you saying that i should not put on my cv that i worked as a lifeguard <laughs> you should absolutely put that as, as on your cv that's that's interesting information if you it, the more interesting the better i will ask about it 
All right. So if you ever drown, uh, well, you know who's going to come to help. <laughs> yeah, Chekhov is looking fairly, uh, fairly prepared for the upcoming tsunami. Oh, yeah, true, true. Uh, because that's the clear risk in the Central Europe. Um, <laughs> uh, proceeding to the second phase, and that's the preparation. And I know, Patrick, you are very passionate about this. Uh, that really comes into the research about the position, company, and people. Oh, absolutely. This is one of those things because essentially my... One of my first questions will be, well, why the process binding architect job, right? Or why process end and, and things like that. So having that answer, knowing a little bit about the job is big. The worst thing that you can do is not have an answer to, hey, what do you think process mining is, right? The basic research about what our company does, kind of where we're situated, the type of work that we've done, you know, we have... I mean, I know I'm just self-flattering here, but listening to a, a podcast episode, at least, I mean, it flatters me for sure, but also it shows interest. It shows some sort of basic, hey, I, I, I kind of want to learn a little bit. I've made some effort to listen to us two bozos talk about this job for, for, for some time. So right, getting prepared in that way um, is, uh, is, is huge. Yeah, and uh, you know you can probably tell that Patrick really liked the praise. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mentioned it in the episode. It will it's brownie points for sure. But <laughs> but also you know prepare yourself. Like where is uh, where are you going to be having the interview? Uh, a a well lit room. Can we see you well? Are you wearing nice clothes? I know it's super super superficial in today's age. People should be able to wear what they want. But it's the first impression, right? Yeah. If I see that you have stains on your shirt or it's old or something that already immediately as much as i don't want it to tells me something about you right so and and so get the, wear something nice <laughs> yeah yeah it's not that much about what you wear or uh like uh you know uh, whether you have a shirt or a tie or something but it's it tells that you for for the interview and for the position for the application you are willing to make something that's you know, a bit less comforting uh, for you than you would ever otherwise do. So, uh, you know, you can still sit your, in your underpants, but having a shirt, it's just <laughs> something that we see. And it's just something we appreciate because, again, it tells that you are willing to sacrifice a little bit of your comfort uh, for actually looking and uh, self-presenting yourself in a much better way. Absolutely. If you look like you just rolled out of bed, then I'm assuming you don't really care about this interview that much. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the that's the that's the train of thought that that we have. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, it then translates also into into how you would be dealing with the clients and everything, and this can go a long way. Yeah. Um, but getting uh, moving on and getting into the phase three, which is the actual interview, I already discussed this a little, and there are these little things such as smile and the first impression. So being on time. Uh, trying to make an eye contact, which I know is difficult because you're looking yeah. into a freaking webcam, but uh, still somehow uh, be mindful of your of your body language. And not only the body language, but also trying to be yourself, trying to be in a moment and at least appear excited. You can think whatever the hell you want about us. You can already think from the very first minute that, okay, this is not the job I want. Um, but it's fine. Maybe, maybe you just don't know that you want it uh, yet because you know we can persuade you that you actually really, really want it. <laughs> um, but uh, just try to be present, be excited, be yourself, listen, and yeah. last and but not least, ask questions. Uh, I yeah. hate when candidates uh, at the end don't have any questions because you know there's only so much that you can say, especially in the first round of the interview 
about the company, about the job, about the position itself, and so on. And uh, you know, I al- almost uh, almost on purpose don't say some of the things because I kind of want the candidates to get interested and kind of want them to ask me about it, right? I mean, uh, there's, there's tons of questions that you could ask after the first interview. Hey, do you have any questions? Hey, um, when could I start? What's the day-to-day look like? Who am I going to be reporting to? Blah, 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 blah. There's so many things that yeah. you could be asking. Yeah. If you don't ask a single one, again, I'm going to assume that you're not, you don't care about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And maybe, maybe there is this fear factor as well that you think that if you ask something, we will uh, automatically discredit you. Uh, and uh, I know how this feels, especially just fresh out of the school. You, 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 you are just afraid and you just want to get a job that's fair. But uh, let me assure you that it's okay to ask anything. Uh, yeah. So don't be afraid, don't be shy, and just go and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, then another big thing, phase four, what you do after the interview. And essentially, this can be a lot of waiting, um, right? Because you know we need to discuss internally about what to, what to do with the, the talk that we just had. But um, one of the best things that you can do is Write, a, uh, write an email um, and just um, say, hey, um, what are the next steps? I enjoyed the interview and things like that. Show your motivation. Show your interest in this job, right? Uh, the candidates that have emailed um, after every single interview <laughs> thanking me and wanting to set up the next one um, are currently employed. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So um, showing this motivation, showing this initiative to schedule these things, show, uh, the next interview, when is it? Let's go schedule it. Is next week fine? Blah, blah, blah. Getting that Getting that motivation in there is huge. Yeah, it's just those uh, hiring hacks that you can use in your in your favor, and uh, yeah. that just go a long way. Because again, it's the whole hiring process is just a people skill at the end of the day. Yeah. Because you know there will be candidates who likely possess similar knowledge of the coding, a similar knowledge of some technologies, but then. Uh, if you have to decide whether you choose a more or less likable person, and maybe some some people from HR would hate to hear this, you know, but uh, this is just true. You are very much inclined to to hire the more likable person. Absolutely, and that's that's just the the way of life. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and that also comes to the fact sometimes, you know, this job just isn't for you, or maybe just the the fit wouldn't be right, and we just think that. I mean, personally, I think. Uh, you would be better off in another job. So, um, you know, it's not nothing really personal. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. Sometimes you just don't have the experience. And then we unfortunately have to have to reject, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It, it kind of sucks. And <laughs> it's, and as much as we wish we could hire everyone, um, that's not really the aim of this game. So, I mean, we unfortunately have to reject and it sucks. And, um, you know, asking for feedback is completely valid. Um, thing to do. And I would encourage you to do so just to get some feedback about what you could be doing in other job interviews, you know, just to kind of get some more knowledge, you know, because any type of interview is an experience. You can learn from every single interview, successful or unsuccessful. And knowing what to do better is, uh, can help you further on in your job search. Yeah. So I would just say, don't be set if things work or don't work out. You can do everything right and still not be hired. It's just life. I mean, it's frustrating. Uh, I've been there as well when I was moving to Germany four years ago and actually applying for jobs. I got rejected from 80 positions. And uh, yeah, that's that's a lot. I kept a track of it. Uh, it was very frustrating. Uh, I mean, there was the language barrier. There was uh, absolutely like no experience whatsoever. 
But mm. you know, I still made it somehow to process and and uh, now I'm yeah. talking about in in podcast about uh, how you should get ready uh, for, exactly. for interviews. Exactly. And I so, think uh, this is a very good story because essentially it's just you will find a job that's right for you and that you will that you will like and that you will fit into. And not taking these rejections personal is huge. Ta- you know, knowing that you can learn from them and that you can be better because of uh, of them and come out better afterwards is you know something that you should internalize and not get frustrated. Yeah, and uh, that said, actually, uh, if you had a feeling that this is kind of a hiring episode, uh, I would say <laughs> that your feelings are correct, that we are currently looking for new employees, for new candidates, for new colleagues. So if you feel intrigued, uh, just please reach out. We have a job postings all over the place, on LinkedIn, directly on the website, or you can actually just write us a direct message on either LinkedIn or, you know, mining your business podcast at gmail.com, usual, the usual candidates. And we would be happy to hear, hear back from you. Maybe, maybe you, this is, was just what you were looking for and, uh, you know, just, just sign up. Uh, and that said, uh, this is actually the end of our talking at the episode. And we have a little, uh, preview or little, little cherry for you guys as well, because, <laughs> uh, you know, th- that we are excited about the job is, I think, self, uh, self-explanatory. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. apparent. Uh, doing this podcast and everything, it's, that's all there. But we've decided that uh, to tell you a bit more about uh, why process mining architect as a job, and specifically also as a job at process end, is the best thing you can do. We have invited a couple of colleagues. So stay tuned and stand by, and now we will give over uh, to our colleagues. And as promised, uh, we've got two data scientists uh, or process mining architect from our company. And therefore, uh, we got Lindsay Ryan here and Anton Erd, who will say a couple of words why they think uh, being a process mining architect in our company is an amazing job. So, Lindsay, ladies first. Yeah, sure. So I think the thing that I really like the most is kind of the diversity of projects that we get to work on. So on one hand, There's always a different process. There's a different industry. There's um, all of these different factors that are are diverse and and variable and keep it really interesting while still having the same kind of mindset and the same kind of approach, the same methodology that underlies all of these different problems. So I think that is like a beyond the, the data science challenges and all of the kind of things that are fairly standard for being a, a data scientist and, and a consultant in these days. Um, this kind of ability to take the same methodology, but apply it in different ways, figure out all the different ways that you can solve a problem um, really keeps us on our toes and I think keeps it really interesting. Um, and then also in the context of process and, I mean, it's a great work environment. Everyone's super collaborative. And I, I say it all the time that a lot of the times I feel really successful in my own project. We're able to create value, work with the customers point to opportunities and really make it happen. But ultimately, the kind of wisdom and the people that we're surrounded by is what makes all of these projects so successful, that it really is a, a team-based uh, deliverable and not just something you're doing on your own. Uh, so yeah, really generally positive things to say about it. Well said, Lindsay, and I'm very happy to hear all those beautiful things. And uh, up next, we've got Anton here, who actually is a working student. Uh, so Anton, what do you have to say about uh, being a process mining architect, and especially <clears throat> while still still studying? Yeah, so um, coming here as a more of a junior level, 
worker, there's obviously a lot of things that I had to learn. And just this whole learning process was so, so nice and so rewarding. Going from not a noob, but a student that obviously knows some SQL and other um, architect, data architect related topics in theory, but just putting it all into practice with the help of the team that is always supporting um, and always supportive, but at the same time also challenging you. It's just really nice to have these challenges, to have this steep learning curve, and at the same time, be allowed to make mistakes, have fun, and just have a great team spirit. Yeah, that's really rewarding, really pushing you forward, and just makes the whole thing a lot of fun. Guys, this was this was lovely, and I'm happy that uh, myself and Patrick didn't have to say everything again ourselves, because then maybe our, our listeners wouldn't believe us, so... Uh, for everyone who's listening, uh, thank you for your attention. As usual, you can reach us out on uh, Minding Our Business Podcast at gmail.com. We are on LinkedIn and we are there to answer any of your questions. And if you are interested in uh, working as a process mining architect slash data scientist slash data analyst, you know where to find us. So uh, thank you for listening and talk to you in the next episode of Minding Our Business Podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. 